0: You are listening to the Arrived Podcast, episode number two. Hey, gents, this is Bethany Reed-Peterson of Atelier Reed, and you are listening to Arrived, the podcast dedicated to helping single guys bring their A-game home. In the show, we're going to deep dive and get real on how you guys can better host your mates, impress your dates, and crush your goals, all by making simple changes to your space and your habits. So if you want to come home knowing you've arrived, join me. Are you ready, gents? Let's do this. Hey, gents, welcome to episode two. I was sitting at home last night watching for the second time one of my very favorite HBO series, Boardwalk Empire, and I started on season four. I've been just like blazing through this, and at the end of one of these very tumultuous, very dramatic scenes between the gangsters, Arnold Rothstein, one of my very favorite characters, says all of man's troubles come from his inability to sit quietly in a room by himself. Now, what we as the audience might not appreciate is the fact that this, of course, isn't actually Arnold Rothstein's character saying this. He is actually quoting a French mathematician from the 1600s. But of course, as ever in famous Arnold Rothstein style, he comes across as a uh, the philosopher and the, the one with some sort of reason, even if it's a menacing reason. And the reason that I bring this up today is it has everything to do with our topic, which is all about how to sit quietly in a room by oneself and meditate. So if you are feeling, at least internally, a little bit like you are machine gunning things down, you're a bit frustrated, you're anxious, you are tired, you're hungover, you're all the things that a gangster feels, but you're not feeling as glamorous as the gangsters of the Prohibition era, I'm here to help you tackle those feelings today on a much more productive level. I'm going to show you in six super quick and super easy steps how to design a room in your space to develop your meditation muscles and to keep you coming back to that practice consistently, even when motivation isn't always there and even if sitting quietly in a room by yourself isn't really your thing. In the first episode, I was joined by Andy Hicks, a mindfulness trainer to the financial services sector. If you missed that episode, go back and listen to it. Andy is a wellspring of information on meditation, and he talked with me rather openly and candidly about how a daily practice has really served to transform his life little by little and how it can really help out anyone out there to feel more focused and proactive rather than, let's say, simply reactive. And if you are listening to this, just rolling your eyes right now at the thought of meditation, let me tell you, you are after my own heart. I have to hold my hand up and say that I was also that person for a very long time. Even though I trained years ago in the transcendental meditation technique, and even though when I did discipline myself to sit down and just chill out, so to speak, for 20 minutes, I felt amazing results, I still couldn't get into the habit for years. And this always frustrated me because I couldn't stick to the habit. I couldn't get consistent with my practice. It's not until I really thought about how can a meditation practice help me win the day that I got serious about crafting a space to show up for. Simply changing up a few things in my home was a real game changer for me when it came to cultivating a consistent practice. And this is why I want to bring this to you guys today, because if I can do it as such a meditation naysayer for so many years, trust me guys, you can too. Before we get started, I wanted to let you know I appreciate how busy you gents are and I know no one likes taking notes, right? So I have prepared for your benefit a top-line cheat sheet of all of these six steps, which you can download totally free at my website. Just go to atelierread.com slash meditation. So let's get cracking, gents the first thing we need to do here to cultivate such a practice in our home is to actually carve out a designated space to meditate. Just as it makes sense to carve out a dedicated space to house your home office, for example, you must also carve out a designated space for a successful meditation practice. Like pretty much all things with the body, whether that's you know eating well or sleeping enough or exercising daily, consistency is key make it that much easier on yourself to actually show up for your practice by taking the cognitive fatigue out of it. And by that, I mean, simply don't reinvent the wheel every session. Trying to decipher a new place each day to meditate will only mean you won't wind up doing it at all, as was the case for me before I got smart on this. Naturally, if you have the space and you have a large enough home, an uncluttered room of your house to dedicate to such a practice is a very obvious choice. That doesn't mean the room needs to be stark or devoid of furniture. It simply means that you probably don't want to meditate in, let's say, a very crowded room with a ton of clutter in it. It is distracting on so many levels. One thing I like to tell clients a lot of the time when I'm helping them develop a meditation space in their home is to say that an unfrequented guest room can actually be a great catch-all for meditation. A guest room often works well because this is typically a space in one's home that's, shall we say, less chaotic than other areas. If you think about it, a hospitable host probably wouldn't house a guest in a messy room. So by design, it's probably going to be a clutter-free or a more kempt zone of the house, if you will. Secondly, because it serves as a spare bedroom, chances are the color palette is a bit calmer, making it an opportune space to meditate If you're one of my gents out there who is living in a densely populated urban area and either flatmates or studio setting or, you know, just generally a tiny space is what you're working with, not a worry. There is still plenty of space to meditate in. You just have to think about it a little bit differently. In his wildly successful and, I will say, incredibly useful book, Atomic Habits, And if you've not read Atomic Habits, you need to read it. It's incredible. Author and habit formation guru James Clear dedicates an entire chapter to the strategy of crafting one's personal environment to develop new and sustaining habits. His take for tiny space dwellers is to actually parse out activity zones. A chair for reading, a desk for writing, a table for eating, etc. Now, I am all about this. It makes a lot of sense. If you are severely in a pinch for space, I would actually recommend those of you out there to think about linking contemplative, relaxing activities into the same zone. So for example, I have a client who lives in a small studio in London and has designated a lounge chair that he bought recently exclusively to reading and meditating. While it sits across from his television, he has told himself he cannot watch TV in this chair, nor can he sit on the phone and scroll Instagram or play video games in the chair. He can only read and meditate in that chair. That's it. That's his meditation space, his lounge chair. Disciplining himself to only read or meditate in this space, quote unquote, has helped him keep a daily practice alive in a space where he is otherwise very confined. So think outside the box on this one. You don't have to have a whole separate room. You don't even have to have a spare guest room. You just have to think creatively and be consistent about where you're meditating every day. Now, of course, there is nothing to say that you must meditate in the same space every day for it to be an effective practice. What I am saying is that For me, what's been incredibly helpful and from what I'm noticing with my clients has been incredibly helpful and keep a daily habit is to focus on one space consistently. And again, take that cognitive fatigue out of it by knowing that you're going back to the same space every day or twice a day. Once you have designated that space that you're going to consistently go to every day to make it easy on yourself, the next step is to cue some visual inspiration and to make it personal. Recently, I saw on Instagram that uh, Tim Ferriss posted a new piece of artwork that is hanging in what he has is a designated meditation room. It's called The Listener by artist James C. Christensen out of the Greenwich Workshop. It's a painting of a man sitting with his eyes closed in stillness, and meditation, while what I sort of perceive as very Rabelais figures around him yell and churn and compete to grab his attention. Now, I mention this because the artist's description is incredibly fitting for today's episode. He says of the protagonist in his work, quote, listening to his still small inner voice, he remains centered without being overcome. We can all find peace in this busy world, but sometimes we need to be reminded that we are in charge of our destiny, and each of us has the ability to focus without being pushed and pulled as victims, unquote. I love this. I had never thought about just the chaos of, of daily life and all of our thoughts that spin around as it being a sort of victimization or just the outside world trying to clamber in and, and us as victims in that sort of overstimulated world. It really gave me pause to see this and to read that description. So while this piece is maybe a bit too Hieronymus Bosch for my taste, and it's all, all, always a personal thing. I can definitely see why Tim Ferriss chose to hang this in his meditation room. Now, of course, I can't speak for him, but I can only imagine that this piece serves as a deeply personal reminder and more specifically a motivator for him as a very busy public figure to show up for himself, to tune out, to switch off whatever you want to call it, so to speak, and into a meditative practice if even for just a few moments each day just as a let's say bowl of fresh fruit on your kitchen counter acts as a visual cue to encourage healthier snacking having a relative visual cue in your in your meditation space or or you know right by that meditation space will help you gravitate more naturally to a practice and that's incredibly important this is also an extremely personal experience. And what one listener might find comforting to add to his meditation space, another listener might find that's only a distraction. Suffice it to say, whatever you add to this area of your home to attract that attention, whatever personal cue or visual cue, I should say, to attract you into that space, but really making sure that once you've got that space, you are then implementing and adding to that space a deeply personal and visual cue. Now, one of the things that has become a deeply personal thing for me, and I appreciate that might sound weird, but I love Plants and I love greenery. House plants are a big personal thing for me. So, step three here is to bring nature into that meditation space. Again, if you listen to the first episode, mindfulness expert Andy Hicks mentioned that when he first started meditating, he felt compelled to bring lots of plants into his space, that he didn't really understand this compulsion. But The fact that he wanted to bring more green into his life is really no accident when you think about it. So there's something called the biophilia hypothesis, and this is a term coined by Harvard entomologist Edward O. Wilson, and this hypothesis suggests that humans have this innate need to be surrounded by nature, and we will actively seek it out whenever possible, and this could be more of an unconscious thing like Andy was doing where he just wanted to have a lot of houseplants surrounding him. This tendency could be as simple and everyday and pragmatic as getting outside in the sun for your lunch break and just enjoying that hour of daylight. Or it could be as adventurous and exotic as, let's say, taking a well-deserved holiday hiking through the rainforest. When it comes to the home, bringing plants and greenery into one space is an element of what's called biophilic design. Now, if this concept is super intriguing for you, definitely go check out my blog, where I devote an entire post to talking much more in depth and more in detail about biophilic design, as well as how to put these principles into practice in any space of your home. You can find it at atelierreed.com forward slash blog forward slash biophilic hyphen design. So just recently, I read something on Buddhist monks and how they would actually cultivate moss and lichen on the walls inside their temples and and other walls in the spaces that they would meditate in. And this was specifically to help them focus on their meditation and keep their minds from wandering. So they actually focused on these plants while they were meditating. Now, you might say that they invented the more primitive art of what we now call living walls. Living walls are its greenery that is literally planted on your wall. So the monks were doing this, if you think about it like that, well over a thousand years ago, which is pretty crazy. Today, we're seeing more and more workspaces and office environments incorporating living walls and plants and plant life because we now know that they aid in productivity and they actually help us focus by cleansing the air. They also cancel ambient noise and they actually provide a sense of well-being in a workspace. I love the idea of a living wall, especially one that's made of succulents and moss and ivy and other low-maintenance greenery. In fact, Whenever I'm in Madrid, I just have to deviate here for a second. Whenever I'm in Madrid, I always make sure I spend a little time sitting outside the Caixa Forum because they have such a beautiful living wall on the outside of the museum. It always seems to center me before I head into the gallery. I love Madrid. There's so much going on. There's so much gorgeous architecture. And I always take that time to just focus and reflect. And I check out that living wall and I breathe a little bit. And it's almost like a... It's almost like a mini meditation unto itself, like pretty much everything design related. And you know, how long is a piece of string, right? A living wall can be as fantastic and complicated as you want to be the kind where you're actually working with either a landscape designer or a horticulturist, or it can be as simple as mounting a few small wall hanging planters on your space and dedicating a little TLC every now and then to that living wall. I tend to like uh, the vendors Terrain, West Elm, Jason Home out of Chicago, and Modernica for inexpensive and modern wall hanging options. They're really cool. For something that's a little bit more involved, I love what Sage Green Life is doing. They have a freestanding and self-watering option that while it was initially designed as a replacement to an office cubicle, can equally be used as a room divider in your home or your, where you're designating that meditation space. And I think this is so cool. So if you are into greenery and you want to get a bit more advanced on it, maybe check out a living wall. Of course, if wall space is at a premium and it all sounds a bit complicated and you're thinking, oh my God, Bethany, you're taking me down the garden path, no pun intended... All you need to do is just head over to your local garden center, pick up a potted plant or two, and start small. It really needn't be complicated. Your space doesn't need to mimic a o hashtag. It just needs to have a few pieces of plant life or greenery or succulents in it to help keep your meditation space serene. A book I was gifted recently that I instantly fell in love with is called The New Plant Parent by Daryl Chang. Unlike a lot of plant books out there, which are really just published forms of Instagram accounts, they're very beautiful, but they're not very informative. The New Plant Parent is actually a super practical and super step-by-step guide for any plant beginner out there. So if you care to get your hands dirty, so to speak, and care for your plants like I love doing, go check out that book. And I will put all of any book references or any vendor references in the show notes for you. So don't feel like you need to take notes now. You can always head over to my website and check out the show notes. So now you've got your designated space. You've got your beautiful personal object, which serves as your visual cue and reminder to get in that space and meditate. You have some plant life. Now, the fourth step is to create a ceremony. To each his own, of course. That said, I am not personally a big fan of the idea of altars or shrines or anything that really feels a bit out of place or anachronistic with the rest of your space. In fact, It's actually one of the reasons I eschewed a meditation practice for so many years in the first place, that I associated meditation with a large ceremony and an altar and it being this big, complicated deal, and it all felt a bit too sacred for me, perhaps, but definitely inaccessible somehow. Like Not only that I hadn't been initiated into some rite of passage to warrant a shrine and a practice... But also, it just wasn't pragmatic enough for me. I, of course, now know that you don't need to surround yourself with any of this stuff. In fact, I know from personal experience that you can be sitting on the New York subway in the middle of rush hour and be in a very deeply engaged meditation state. That said, there is something profound and luxurious about engaging in some type of ceremony just before you meditate. Now, again, with the plant life, don't overthink this. This could be, again, as simple as turning the lights down and lighting a candle. In fact, all of my clients know how much I champion dimmer switches, dimmer switches in every room of your house, but I digress. Just as dimming the lights in your dining room sets a mood for intimate conversation around a dinner table, Lighting a candle can work much the same for setting a mood in your practice. And this is especially true when you're coming home after a frenzied day or when you've been hanging out in and around and staring at blue light all day, whether that's fluorescent office lighting or your telephone screen or your computer screen, just the simple act and ceremony, if you will, of getting home, dimming the lights a little bit, perhaps lighting a candle and... If you so desire setting an intention for your practice, but also in the act of that small ceremony, it's a way to slough off the day. On this, the queen of life-changing magic of tidiness, the decluttering diva herself, Marie Kondo, suggests what she calls changing the air when you're feeling stuck or uncertain when you're decluttering. She cites that lighting a candle can powerfully work to get you back on track. And if you think about it, meditation is exactly that. It's decluttering, but for your brain. I also love the use of candles for meditation because they're pragmatic. They come in travel sizes, they pack well in checked luggage, and they can even make the most dingy and sad of work travel hotel rooms feel a little bit more like home. My favorites at the moment are Diptyque, Lalabo, and Cire Trudin because they are so gorgeous and elegantly fragrant. And yes, it's just a coincidence that they're all French candle companies, but hey, the French know what they're doing when it comes to candle making. Importantly, it feels like I'm also offering up a present to myself every time I light a candle and meditate. But Remember, any old candle will do. You don't need to go out and spend a lot of money if you don't care to. Just remember, it's not the scent that you're focusing on or the brand. It's the ceremony. Now, if you are somewhere where candles are forbidden or you simply don't like the thought of an open flame while you meditate, incense can work just as well to change the air, so to speak. I really like PF Candle Company's line of incense sticks as well as Astier de Viette's beautifully designed incense and packaging for all the same reasons that I mentioned. There's just such a luxury to those incense lines. I am not affiliated with any of these lines. I just love their products and I know listeners will too. The fifth thing that you need to do to really facilitate the habit of a meditation practice is to make that meditation space beautiful in whatever respect that means to you. One of my heroes, William Morris, who was the leading designer of the British arts and crafts movement, famously stated, have nothing in your house that you do not know to be useful or believe to be beautiful. While it may seem very flowery in today's language and as flowery, in fact, as his famous wallpaper designs, the man had a point. To surround oneself with beautiful things is not only a luxury, it actually makes us feel better about our space, it makes us feel more productive, it makes us feel more organized, it makes us feel more successful, and it makes us feel like we've, you know what I'm going to say, arrived. So this is where it gets really tricky to tell you guys exactly what to do point by point to make your space beautiful because... Beauty really is in the eye of the beholder. What I might find beautiful, you might not. So what I would say here in terms of making your space beautiful to facilitate that habit for a mindfulness or a meditation practice is to think about this holistically, So if you have a beautiful visual cue or a beautiful piece of artwork and some great greenery in there, but you have a jumble of cables and cords sitting in the corner, that is going to detract from the beauty of your space. If you have walls that have marks on them or chips or the paint's peeling or whatever, that is also potentially going to detract from the beauty of that space. So think about how can you make your space beautiful as it pertains to how do I make it a space that I am attracted to go into and what distractions is it not going to hold for me. Another really simple win here is to think about a color that you love and paint that on, let's say, you could either paint it in the entire uh, space if you if you are so bold, or you could even just paint it on one wall, or you could incorporate a simple piece of artwork that has that color in it. So think about what is a color that you find beautiful and how can you incorporate that on the walls in paint or a piece of artwork? That's just a really simple hack to make a space a lot more beautiful, especially when we're living in flats that maybe have magnolia walls or they're all white, or there's just a lack of color Paint really is one of the most effective and cost-effective ways of making your space beautiful and doing so very quickly. In essence, think about it this way. We all know that we feel better, like my man William Morris was saying, when we're surrounded by beauty. Now, when this abstract concept or notion of beauty is a physical environment, like a meditation space, it actually serves as a twofer because not only is that space beautiful, it's useful. And then it becomes that much easier to want to spend time in that space and develop your meditation practice that much more fluidly. This brings me to my last point, number six, which is to know you're worth it. I had a very hard time sticking to a practice for so many years, I finally realized... Because for so long, I was telling myself on probably an unconscious level that meditation was too indulgent, that I was too busy to drop everything for, you know, a whole 20 minutes of my day and focus on just giving something back to myself and practicing a little bit of self-care. So if this sounds like you, pay close attention. You are worth taking 20 minutes out of your hectic day to meditate, to now enjoy that beautiful space that you've invested time and energy and perhaps money into. The goal of shaping our outer environment with visual cues and beautiful objet and plant babies isn't simply to hack your home and call it a day. It's to hack any self-doubt that might be lingering and any negative thoughts that might be hanging around. And remind you that you do have the time, you have the ability, and you now have the cool, dedicated space. When you choose to meditate, what you're actually doing is choosing to win the day in whatever small capacity you can control. You're choosing to remind yourself that you're worth showing up for. And if you're showing up consistently for a meditation practice, it is amazing what you will also choose to show up for in your professional life and in your personal life. Heavy stuff, right? I promise all of these episodes won't always be so heavy. I realize I'm starting this podcast out with a lot of a lot of heavy focus. And I probably somewhere down the line, we'll talk about coffee tables and uh, sports equipment. I don't know. But here is a recap to bring your A-game home when it comes to facilitating the habit formation for your meditation space. Number one, designate a space. Do it consistently in that same space whenever possible. Get creative about that space or the zone of activity and be consistent. Number two, Cue the habit with personalized visual cues. That could be artwork. It could be a sculpture. It could be anything, but make it visual and make it personal to you. Number three, get green and bring nature in. Whether you want to go big with a living wall or you want one tiny succulent from Home Depot, either will work just as well. Just get some greenery into your space and breathe in the cleansed air. Number four, embrace the ceremony. Be a little bit luxurious. Get something into the space that makes you feel good and helps create a personal ceremony for yourself. I love candles. I love incense. I love dimming the lights. It doesn't need to be super complicated, and no altars are necessary. Number five, make it. Beautiful. This goes a little bit into number four. When we surround ourselves in a beautiful environment, it's so much easier to get focused and be productive on any activity. And number six, know you're worth it. Know you are worth taking out 20 minutes to dedicate to your practice for some self-care, especially now that you have a super dope meditation space to practice in. Once again, if you want to download a simple and a very quick cheat sheet on these six steps, just visit my website at atelierreedcom slash meditation. Also, if you are enjoying the Arrived podcast and you think other guys out there will too, I would love nothing more than to get your feedback and for you to please leave a review and a rating on Apple podcasts. You can do it from your phone. It's super simple. Just search my show there, subscribe and click write a review at the bottom in the ratings and review section. For full instructions, you can also go to my website atelierreid.com slash podcast slash review. I want to hear from you guys and I want you to tell me more about how I can help you come home feeling like you've arrived. Thank you so much for joining me on this episode of Arrived. If you've enjoyed listening to this podcast and your space is feeling a little more like a crash pad than a home, not to worry. I'm here for you gents. Join me over at atelierreid.com slash arrived to work with me one-to-one on a design action plan to help you bring your A-game home. That's A-T-E-L-I-E-R-W-R-E-D-E dot com slash arrived. So what are you waiting for? Let's do this. I'll see you next time, guys. Have a great week.